Welcome to the Shoreline Community Church Podcast, a community of love, acceptance, forgiveness, and belonging. For more information, be sure to check us out online at shorelinecc.com. We started a new series last week called Walk This Way, and, and you can continue to sing that song if you want in your head. But uh, we, we've been walking through First Timothy, and this week as we go through, we're, we're going to be uh, continuing right where we left off, and that's at First Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. We're going to be focused on 12 through 17. But as we were looking at this today, as we look at the example, how Paul points to himself as saying that Christ made an example of him, you know, I, th- I, th- I thought about, it. as it relates to an example, I bought my first home back uh, when, my, my, when my, my uh, first son Riley was born. We adopted him, and we had this home, and most of our homes have been fixer-uppers, because you get a great deal on it, and you think, oh, I can fix this. And then I immediately, as I began to fix my house, I began to look into it, and I recognized uh, there were skills that I did not possess. The things that I would see people do with great ease, uh, for some reason, pipes that I fixed from leaking, they would leak later. Electrical outlets that I would mess around with, um, I had some shocking results at times. Um, just all kinds of wonderful things. And this, this, this was pre-YouTube. I mean, YouTube University is awesome. But so here's what I did. I, I went to Barnes & Noble, and I still go to Barnes & Noble. I'm very digital, but I love paper as well. And I bought this homeowner's repair manual. It's a thick book. And I was just, I was grunting like, you know, Tim Allen. I was going through, I was just, I was so excited about it. And uh, that's an 80s example there. Um, I was so excited to dig into it and, and to get into it. But even reading the book, I recognized that reading a book did not make me an, ex, an expert. If you've ever been frustrated by that, you read a book, you're like, I'm still not an expert. And so what I did, I began to uh, recognize I had friends with skills to pay the bills. And, and they would come over, and a pipe that I did exactly as the book said that still leaked, they fixed with great ease and quicker. And, and drywall that I tried to fix that looked, it looked like I tried to fix it. Uh, I remember there was this one uh, uh, drywall person in our church that he was an artisan. I mean, you know, I, I, I should have called him Leonardo. Just amazing the artistry he's able to do. And he was able to take something that I messed up and just make it look beautiful. And here's the thing that happened from that, though. As they came over, I was with them. I was helping them. I was doing whatever they would let me help with. But by having a good example of it, more than reading a book, though the book is important, we're called to be living examples. When I was able to watch them and they were able to watch me, my skills began to grow, began to grow. And that's what Paul's talking about here. He's talking about the aspect of we read the Word of God, we live the Word of God, but Christ has made us to be living examples to the world that we live in, to the children that are around us, that it's not just head knowledge, it's not just this mental ascent that the God, though we are to study to show ourselves approved, but we are to be living witnesses. And we see this laid out here in 1 Timothy 1, verse 12 through 17. Verse 12 17. Paul says, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength to do his work. He considered me trustworthy and appointed me to serve him, even though I used to blaspheme the name of Christ. In my insolence, I persecuted his people, but God had mercy on me because I did it in ignorance and unbelief. Oh, how generous and gracious our Lord was. He filled me with the faith and love that come from Christ Jesus. This is a trustworthy saying. And everyone should accept it. Christ came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them all. One version says, uh, I am the chief of all sinners. 
And we're going to talk about that later. Verse 16, it says, But God had mercy on me so that Christ could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst sinners. Aren't you glad that the Lord has patience with us? Then others, then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. And then verse 17, it says, All honor and glory to God forever and ever. He is the eternal king, the unseen one who never dies. He alone is God. Amen and amen and amen. So many things in this, but then so many things we can pull out. I love how you can go to scripture, and every time you read it, there's like new things that come out. There's new things revealed, new things that you see. But the thing I want us to focus on today, the thing that I feel the Lord would have us focus on is this idea of prototype. Because when we look at Paul, we see here that Paul calls himself the prototype of Christianity. See, the words that we use to describe ourselves are very important. How we think about ourselves, the way that we describe ourselves is very important. And here, Paul describes himself as an example to those who were to believe. A prime example of his great patience, of God's great patience with even the worst of sinners. And when you look at this word, the word that the Bible uses here, for example, it means it's an outline or it's a sketch. It's a word that means it's a prototype. And now normally when you look at an example, every factory that you go to that's building something, there's always a model, right? There's something that they look to because it's important when people are building something, when people are doing something, that they have an example of what it looks like. Because if you don't have an example, you can get way off. And then we have cars that don't work. We have things that fall apart. You experience that, right? You're like, surely this was not the prototype that was there. And normally you look for something that is perfect because the model is something that you work on really hard because you know that's something that people are going to look like. And here in 1 Timothy, Paul is declaring that Christ is making him the example. And if all you read about Paul was, 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 was a lot of these verses that we see, maybe many of you would think, well, if Paul's the example, then yes, Paul must be perfect, right? But see, this is not the gospel. It's declaring that I am perfect, declaring that Dwayne's got it all together. This is not what the gospel is about. The gospel is laid out in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift from God. It's not a result of works so that no one can boast. See, the gospel is, is not about look how good I am. Look how perfect. Now, following Christ is a transformative work. There's fruit that comes from it. But the gospel is not something that we earn. It's, it's not something that, it's, a, it's, it's not about our works. It's not about something that we boast in. See, the gospel is not, I am good, so therefore God loves me. The gospel is, God is so good that he loves me. Isn't that true? It's not about my goodness. Jesus corrected that so many times. God is the only one who's good. The type of thinking that I am perfect and I'm worthy of God is actually anti-gospel. And it's this type of thinking that has led people to believe that they are good enough on their own. As we've, we, I've shared so many stats with you that part of the challenge that we have today is that there are so many people that think, well, I'm good enough on my own. Certainly God would not, would not judge me or do anything because I'm a pretty good guy. Or I'm better than this person over here. I tip my barista. I, I tip it. I, I give a really good tip. That's not what the gospel is about. It's not about worshiping God my way. It's not about believing that I'm perfect. The gospel begins by realizing I'm lost. The gospel begins by recognizing that I am in need of a savior. 
Because see, until we realize that we are lost, that apart from Christ, we are no good, there's no hope. But the word lost, it's a pretty offensive word, isn't it? Do you know that I've even been corrected by other Christians? They've said, don't tell people they're lost. That's, that's too offensive. My response to that is, if I don't recognize I'm lost, I don't recognize that I have a need of a Savior. Now, there's manners. There's good ways of saying it. But until I realize that I need Christ, there is no hope. See, Paul, Paul is saying that he is the example because of his confession that Christ came into the world to save sinners, of which Paul said, I am the worst of them all. See, many would look to Paul and say, well, isn't Paul a great example? I mean, he wrote over 25% of the New Testament. He, you know, he, he did all these miracles. He built all these churches. He raised up all these disciples. And he was even martyred for his faith in Jesus. I mean, isn't he a great guy? Isn't he a good guy? Isn't he a good example? It's important for us to not miss what Paul is saying because Paul is saying that he's an example, that he's a prototype because God saved him as the worst of all sinners. And see, Paul, Paul's not just degrading himself going, oh, I'm bad, so that people come along and say, oh, no, you're really good, Paul. Do you ever do that, right? Do you ever fall in the trap of coming along and say, man, I'm not very good at that? And along the way, you're hoping somebody say, Dwayne, you're really good. You're really good. Don't think that way for yourself. Have you ever done that? I've done that. <laughs> right? You feel down. You're like, oh, I feel so bad. Will somebody tell me I'm good? <laughs> I think we all fall victim to that. But look at Paul's bio. See, when Paul says that he's a worse sinner, he's not joking. See, pre-conversion, Paul was known by his Hebrew name of Saul. He was raised by parents who were Pharisees. And if you know much about the Pharisees, Pharisees were strict Jewish nationalists who prided themselves in how they followed the law of Moses. Unfortunately, they were so focused on just following the law and doing the rules and enforcing them that they missed Jesus along the way. See, the Pharisees were one of the largest groups that Jesus constantly attacked because of this. This was the group that Jesus said, obey what they tell you, but don't follow their example. There's that word again, example. He says, for they don't practice what they teach. And as it relates to Paul, we know that he was highly educated. I mean, at the age of 13, he was sent to this famous rabbi, Gamaliel, and under him, he mastered Jewish history. He mastered the Psalms, the work of the prophets. And he also learned how to, how to dissect scripture and mastered the law. As a result, Paul was on track to become a lawyer and to become an expert at arguing and debating the law. His career path was to become part of the Sanhedrin. This was the Jewish Supreme Court of 71 men who ruled over Jewish life and religion. But this was the path that led Paul towards religious extremism. I think one of the saddest examples of Paul's religious extremism was in the killing of Stephen. Stephen was the first Christian martyr. And when you look at the life of Stephen, this was the guy that they made the first Christian martyr. He was one of the deacons of the early church. He was appointed by the apostles to distribute food to the poor and to the widows, to the orphans. This is pure religions, as, as another Paul quoted today. <laughs> right? Stephen was a follower of Christ. In Acts 6, it says he was full of grace, he was full of power. Stephen was doing wonders and signs among the people. And he was having such an impact for the gospel of Christ that they began to make lies about him. And they brought him before the Jewish council. This is the Sanhedrin that Paul was on track to be a part of. And even in the middle of this, even though that he was facing extreme judgment, Stephen 
delivers this amazing speech where he goes all the way back to Abraham, the history that they knew. And he brought them all the way through, pointing out how along the way they kept missing it. They kept missing it. They kept missing it, calling them back, calling them to repentance, to not miss Jesus. And in the middle of all this, the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, all they could do was, the Bible says, they just covered their ears and just yelled. And they dragged him outside the city. And they stoned him. They stoned him to death. This is Stephen, the guy who's going around feeding orphans, feeding the widows, doing miracles, loving people. Wouldn't even listen to him. Do you know who was there fully supporting it? Holding the robes of those cast in stones? Let me hold your robe while you throw a stone. It was Paul. It was Paul. In Acts 8.1, it says that Paul approved of his execution and watched this horrific death. And not only that, Stephen's stoning actually inspired Paul to turn up his anger towards Christians. Two verses later, it says that Saul went on this campaign ravaging the church, the Bible says, and entering house after house, dragging off men and women and committed them to children, or committing them to prison, rather. This was Paul. See, when Paul says that he was the chief of all sinners, he wasn't kidding. And all along the while, he thought he was serving God. This is Paul, fully convinced that his anger was a righteous anger. So why is Paul the prototype? Why is someone who's done so many horrific things, why is he the prototype? Well, Paul is the prototype because as a chief of all sinners, he was the model that in Christianity, no matter how far you run from God, no matter how far off you get, when you've done things that you're like, no one's going to forgive me, no one's going to be there, that though you may have taken a million steps away, the return to God is one step. One step. Who else does that? Who else can you be so horrific to run away, persecute all the while saying, I'm doing it for them, take a million steps, but the minute you take one step towards them, God's right there. He's right there in that moment saying, I've been waiting for this. That as soon as we bow our heart, as soon as we bow our knee, we recognize, God, I'm, I'm the chief of all sinners. There's no way that you could love me. Remember, it's not how good I am, it's how good God is. That that one step back to him, God's like, all right, <laughs> now we go. See, though we may be ignoring God, though we may be running from God, God never stops pursuing us. That's the gospel. See, that, only not, that doesn't just give me hope for me. That gives me hope for those that I love. How many of us have people that they've taken a million steps away, sometimes openly rejecting God? I don't believe in God. I hate God. Some running away and justifying their actions. And the whole time you're saying, God, how could this be? Paul's saying, I'm the example. Look at everything I did. And immediately when I turned, Paul was ignited and he was used by God in such a powerful way. When people look at the New Testament, you cannot look at the New Testament without seeing Paul and the work of Paul. And Paul's saying, yep, I was the worst. Yep, I did this. Yep, here's everything I did. The first couple years of his ministry was very tough because people ran from him because they're like, he's just pretending. He's just trying to trick us. As soon as he gets around us, he's going to, did you hear about Stephen? Did you hear about all this stuff that he did? Nobody was taking a collection for Paul those first couple of years. <laughs> they were going, he's a poser. 
or whatever their Hebrew word for poser was. Right? How can this be true? Now, did Paul have to go through this process? Absolutely. There was refining and all the way through. He was very open about this. But he's saying that this is the prototype. Because here's the thing. When Paul saw Jesus, when he experienced God, when he experienced the power of God in his life, and he turned around, when he knew he was lost, everything turned for Paul when he knew that he was lost. He knew his only hope was Jesus. See, this is the only hope that we have. And the more that you talk to people today, the more that you talk to those who don't know the Lord, the more you talk to those who aren't serving the Lord, a lot of times the challenge isn't convincing them that there is a God. They may believe in many gods, but they're going, yeah, there's a God. We're in one of the most spiritual cities in the world. People are very spiritual. There are a few atheists, but those are pretty rare. I talk to a lot of people all the time that they believe in God. But the challenge is not convincing them that there's a God. The challenge is, is con- and the challenge is not even convincing them that there's a heaven. When you look at the stats, most people in America believe there's a God. Most people in heaven, be- most people in, well, people in heaven believe there's a heaven. But most people in America, <laughs> they believe, yeah, there's a heaven. And most people believe that they can get there on their own works. See, the challenge is convincing people that they need Jesus, that without Jesus, they're lost. Jesus said this over and over repeatedly in many ways in all of his disciples. That in John 14, when he, when he said, I am the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And for those of us raised in that, we're saying yes, yes, yes. But Paul is saying, are you living it? Are you being an example to that? Are you depending totally on Jesus? Because this is the prototype. And this aspect of recognizing that we're lost, this is the offensive part. I love what Tim Keller says. Tim Keller says that the gospel is the most exclusive, inclusive religion out there. It's it's the most inclusive because all are welcome. You take one step and you're you're in. You confess, you give everything to Jesus, you're in. But it's the most exclusive because there's one way. There's not many ways. I don't serve Jesus in my way. God forbid I serve Jesus in my way. I serve Jesus in his way, the way that he lays out. See, my way can be all over the place, right? He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. See, I don't qualify to getting into heaven because I'm Dwayne. Not even because I'm Canadian. And everyone smiles when I tell them I'm Canadian. It is only through Jesus. And you may say, well, Pastor Wayne, isn't that a big duh? Well, it's not, because 52% of those who say they're Christians still believe that they can get into heaven by their own works. Now, again, there's fruit. When When you're following the Lord, when you're surrendered to him, there's fruit from that. You should be able to tell that I love my wife, Stephanie. If you can't tell I love my wife, Stephanie, there's a problem, and it begs a question, do I really love her? You should be able to tell that I love my kids. You should be able to tell that I love you. We know you love coffee. We know you love hockey. We know you love all this stuff. Do you love people? It should be evident. There's fruit from that. But it is only through Christ living in me. 
See, Jesus was very clear. He was very clear that discipleship is about humbling ourselves and confessing our sins and denying everything, letting go of everything and following Jesus. Because see, without the acknowledgement of sin, there's no realization of a Savior. What do I need a Savior for? See, Jesus revealed this when he said in Matthew 7, and he said, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say, Lord, we prophesied in your name. Lord, we cast out demons in your name. Lord, we perform many miracles in your name. He said, but I'll reply, I never knew you. And then he'll say, get away from me, you who break God's laws. Boy, that's humbling, isn't it? And it burns in my spirit because so many times we miss it because we're so given to just doing it in ourselves, And, like, well, God understands, and it's okay, and it's, it's all right. And Jesus, he loves us relentlessly, always there. But it is only, only through God. It is only, only through him. And I think so many times we struggle, we all struggle in life because we're trying to do it on our own. We're trying to do it our own way. We're saying, why does it seem to be, I'm just struggling so much. What is happening, and why do I feel so insecure? Do you ever, do you ever struggle with insecurity? All right, Canadians do. <laughs> we say sorry when we didn't even do anything wrong. One of the biggest things that God's been revealing to me over the past three, four, five years is just that reality of when I'm feeling insecure, the voice of the Holy Spirit speaks to when you're insecure because you haven't lifted your eyes to me. You're looking down at the waves. You're trying to step over on your own. You're trying to do it your own way. You're just trying to gather these things from the past and try to pull them in to help you. You want to be secure. You fix your eyes on Jesus. You cast aside everything. You give up all things. You forsake all things. And there are times that the Lord's going to let you, is going to walk with you. Like with the rich person, he said, get rid of everything. He said, sell everything you own, get rid of it all, and then come follow me. He knew the rich person was owned by his money. There's nothing wrong with money. The love of money is the root of all evil, but there's nothing wrong with, with money. But he knew that this owned the person. He said, get, get rid of it. What happened to that person? The Bible says that person walked away sad. And there's times the Lord speaks to us about things that own us. He says, I want you to get rid of it. And we walk away sad. Because unless we are fully dependent, fully living for God, we're not going to experience that life to the full. We're not going to experience that, that security that we have in him that no matter what, though they persecute me, though they ignore me, what can people do to me when I am with the Lord? Until we come to that point in our life, we are not going to experience the fullness of what God has for us. Because it will be tested at every turn. That's why Jesus and the disciples, they were consistently and continually addressing the things deep inside of us so cleverly hidden as killing them, which is that pride, right? I can do it on myself. And pride manifests in different ways. You know, some, are, some walk around and they're like a peacock, right? Very, very proud and just walking around. And some have this, this kind of soft-spoken humility. Same pride, but they're just masking it a little bit differently. 
But it's the whole aspect of I can do it on my own. We've even written songs that sorry seems to be the hardest word, right? You know, I love this, again, Tim Keller. You know, he says that typically when, when you're speaking to people, there are two groups, the rich and the poor. And he tweeted this. He, uh, he says, the rich person needs the gospel to humble them, while the poor person needs to let the gospel affirm them. There are people that they feel so unworthy that they're like, how could God ever love me? And they need to be reminded that God does love you. He's with you. But then there's times in our life and there's those that we need to be humbled and say, God, yes, I do need you. I need to stop doing this on my own. I need to stop doing this on my own. See, the path is the same for all of us. We all need to humble ourselves, no matter if we think whether we're the greatest or the worst. We need to humble ourselves and say, God, I need you. And here's the key as we wrap this up today. What changed things for Paul? What brought him to this point when he was going around and proud he was doing everything for God as he was persecuting Christians, rid the world of Christians, they're wrong, they've got it. What made Paul realize that he was on the wrong path? What made Paul change from all this education that he had, all this support that he had, all the power, all the authority that he had with all the synagogues that he went to, said, I've got authority to come in and to persecute, to drag off all these Christians. What changed things for Paul? The thing that changed things for Paul, he encountered Jesus. Things changed for Paul when he encountered Jesus. He said, but God had mercy on me because I did it in ignorance and unbelief. And he said, oh, how generous and gracious our Lord was. He filled me with the faith and the love that comes from Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus is not saying, now Paul here, he's not saying that he was justified because he was ignorant. No. What Paul is saying, because the Bible is very clear that no one is without excuse. There's no excuse. And Paul even declared that in Romans chapter 1 verse 20. But Paul is admitting that he was fully convinced that he bought into a lie, that all the Christians were wrong, that they were the problem, and they were a problem that had to be removed, and he devoted his entire life for it. But when he saw Jesus, when he saw Jesus, he had an encounter with Christ that he could not deny. He knew that Jesus was real. That though he was on his way to rid the world of Christians, and Acts 9-1 says he was even uttering threats on his way, that while he was on that road to Damascus to rid the world of Christians, Jesus stepped into his life and did two key things that I want us to key in right here. Because these are two key things that we need to pay attention to. First of all, he experienced Jesus. It says, as he was on the road approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him, and he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And then Saul asked, who are you, Lord? And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what to do. See, in that moment, he experienced Jesus. He heard the voice. He couldn't deny it, and he was brought to his knees. But I want you to see what happened next. Because for most of the people in the room, I know most of you, and I know that you're committed to the Lord. I know that you love the Lord, and that you want to serve him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. So I want you to see what's happening here. Because though some of you may have yet to experience Christ, most of us here, we need to pay attention to what's happening with Ananias because Jesus sent someone to him. Jesus sent someone to him. 
Verse 10 says, now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. <laughs> and the Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. I bet Paul was praying. <laughs> he said, I've shown him a vision of a man named Ananias. As I've told him about you, he's coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. Listen to Ananias. But Lord, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem, and he's authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. Think about it. I mean, that's a reasonable response, right? You got this vision. Is that you, God? You want me to go with the guy who's killing people? The guy who's got a letter? The guy, he has one experience with God and everything's okay. I mean, you know, is this really true? But the Lord said, go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take the message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as the people of Israel. And the rest, when you read it, is this beautiful history that unfolds. See, the Lord is calling us, and he's speaking to us. Some of you, he's going to give a dream. Some of you, by the voice of the Holy Spirit. Some of you are saying, Lord, speak to me. And then the Holy Spirit will tell you. I've heard stories of people saying that, you know, God told me to turn off Netflix. Is everything on Netflix bad? No. But sometimes when we say, Lord, I want you to use me, the Lord will start saying, I want you to start turning stuff off so you can hear me clearly because you're being distracted. We're all my attention deficit people out there, right? <laughs> He's saying, turn everything off. Do you want to hear my voice clearly? Do you want to get on with the path that I have for you? you want to get on with the word I have for you? Turn everything off. When the disciples struggled and they, they went back to Jesus, they said, Jesus, we did what you did. We did what we read. We did what, all this stuff and nothing's happened. He's saying, this comes by prayer and fasting. Prayer, I'm going to speak to you. I'm going to just hear you. I'm going to fast. I'm going to turn everything off. And so as you walk forward, the Lord may be calling you to a fast and to turn off things, to turn off good things. Why? Because he's got a mission for you. That he's looking at all of you and saying, you are my chosen instrument to go to that person, to go to that person, to go to that area but you're only going to do it if you hear me, if you cut everything off, if you turn everything off. It's often been said that if following Christ costs you nothing, you need to ask yourself, am I following Christ? Because it costs you everything. But here's the encouraging part. See, I grew up in a church that always talked about don't do this and don't do that and hit me down and just, you know, I was afraid to stick my head up. <laughs> it was just like, whoop, gone. Beautiful people if you're listening. I love you all. But it was tough. I have some Sunday school teachers to still listen to me. <laughs> They're like, he became a pastor? <laughs> yeah. My mom has uh, dementia. And so I feel like every time I call her, she's getting to know me again. And she says it every time. You became a pastor? Wow. Because <laughs> when you have dementia, you remember the old things, just not the new things. And so she's like, wow, hey. And I laugh every time. I love it. <laughs> you deny Christ and you follow him with 
everything that's in you. Are we willing to give everything up? See, this is our mission. You are the chosen instrument. Remember the prototype. The prototype, the example that Paul talked about is that God saved him the worst of all sinners, million miles from God. I mean, just not just ignoring God, but thinking he's on a mission from God while he's persecuting the people of God. There are people like that. But how many steps away from God was he? One. And I want to speak this to you right now, that wherever you are, if you feel like you're a million miles from God, you're one step back. If you feel like you're seeking God and you're saying, God, where are you? You're one step. And then you turn and God says, take one more. And oftentimes that first step is, turn this off, get rid of this, sell that, push that aside. Stop paying attention to that. How long are you going to scroll videos of funny comedians? Dwayne. <laughs> Shut it off. Say, all right, now we're going to go to second base. Now we're going to go to third base. Now we're going to walk over it. Now we're going to do this. Now we're going to heal you. For some, he took them and he put them aside and he said, now I'm going to speak healing. You've turned everything off. You need some healing right now. Some of you are in that spot. The Lord's saying, I need to pull you aside so I, I can just pour the healing oil in you and I can just speak to you the words that you need to hear because people have been telling you lies about yourself. See, God's approach to us is unique, but it's the same because it's all love. And if we're to step forward in this, it's that prototype. You need to recognize, without Jesus, you're lost. If you only have part of Jesus, you don't have Jesus. See, Jesus doesn't like just kind of dip his toe in your life. He's like, you, it's, you take all of me, you take none of me. <laughs> Why? Because he's God. He's not a friend. He's not your follower on social media. He's none of that stuff. He's God. He's the center of the universe. He's the maker of all things. He's the alpha. He's the omega. He's the one who spoke you into existence. He's the one that will make you an overcomer if you'll trust him. He's the one that can do all things. He's the one who can do strength. He's the one that can speak healing. He's the one that raises people from the dead. He's the one that will raise things in your life that you thought were dead back to life. He is God. And we need to humble ourselves and recognize that. And he loves us. Not because of how good you are, but because of how good he is. Amen? Can we stand together? God is so good. God, you are good. You begin things, you end things, and you write everything in the middle. So, Lord, speak your word to us today as we look at Paul, the prototype. Some of us today, we need to be humbled. Some of us today need to be humbled and say, Lord, I humble myself. <laughs> Forgive me of my pride. Forgive me of all the stuff that I tried to do it on my own. Lord, forgive me for trying to do it on my own. And I'm suffering with insecurity. I'm suffering with all this stuff because I'm trying to, I'm leaning on me instead of trusting in you with all my heart. Not leaning my own understanding. I need to acknowledge you and follow your ways. And for some of us, we may feel that we're so far from God that how could God love us? You need to be reminded today that wherever you are, you take that one step. 
the light of Christ will shine in your life. However the Lord has spoken to you today, just speak that to the Lord. God, we exalt you above all things. And Lord, we respond in obedience to your voice, to your truth. God, give us the confidence to walk in you, fixing our eyes. As you've spoken to us, to turn things off, to fast from things. Some things for a season, some things forever. God, I pray you would help us this week to walk in obedience to that. Lord, help us to share with someone that we trust that can hold us accountable and encourage us and help us in that. And God, I pray for that person today, Lord, that is sitting here that's like, you know what? I've never given my life to you or I need to reaffirm my love for Jesus. Lord, I give my life to you. And if you're here today and you're like, you know, I, I need to rededicate my life to Christ. This happened to me in eighth grade. I thought I was following Jesus and I was at this teen challenge concert thing and the Lord was spoken to me. He's like, Dwayne, you've never surrendered to me. And I was in junior high. Pray for junior high kids. If that's you today, would you just pray this prayer? You're like, I want to rededicate my life. Say, Jesus, I believe in you. I confess to you my sin. I confess to you that there's times I've ignored you. There's times I've done it my own way. So Jesus, forgive me. Fill my life, Jesus. Would you pray that? Fill my life. Take over. I dedicate my life to you. I am yours. Now use me as your example. As the chief of all sinners, I give my life to you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 And Lord, I pray as we walk, Lord, bring to us those divine moments. Help us to see them. To recognize that you are placing us strategically for your purpose. Use us, I pray, in your name. Amen. 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 Church, I believe the Lord's getting us ready. I believe he's encouraging us. Sometimes there's a hard word, right? There's a hard word. And, and, but let me encourage you to lean into those, that voice of the Spirit. Everything that we give up for the Lord has eternal return for him. The Lord is refining us. He's doing his work. He's purifying us. He's getting us ready so that the world around us might know him. Amen? Amen. Before we leave today, and if you're praying with someone, you can keep praying and, and do your thing. But as we've been talking about missions today, I, I feel like we're doing like this little mini missions convention. You know, we're praying for all of Crest. We're praying for all these things. We have a missions team that is heading to Honduras today. If you want to come forward and you want to pray for them, come on forward. And let's just lay hands on these people. Father, we thank you. You told us to go into all the world. Lord, all is Shoreline, all is Seattle, all is Washington, all is America, all is Honduras, all is everywhere. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And so, Lord, as these people now go, Lord, I pray that they would, they would recognize that we are with them. We are praying for them. We are giving to support them. We are engaging as the body of Christ. And Lord, I pray you would use them. And Lord, though to us, Lord, we hear that number over 120 churches planted in 16 years that are flourishing. Lord, we know that we have yet to see what God would do. So Lord, I pray that you would ignite them. Bless uh, Pastor Johan, bless his family, bless his leaders that he's investing in. Lord, I pray that there would be, Lord, teenagers that would be rescued from the gangs, that they would see there's a better way. There is the way through Jesus Christ. Lord, that you would use them, Lord, whether it's through chocolate chips or, Lord, whether it's through nails being, being used to, to, to build the buildings down there. God, use it for you. And God, may it inspire us in the work that we have. 
in the classrooms, in the schools, in the workplace. Lord, wherever we walk, wherever we travel, on the bus, on the link light, wherever we are, God, may we recognize wherever we put our foot, we are standing as a child of God, empowered by you to be used for your mission. So Lord, awaken your church, fill us with your spirit, empower us for such a time as this. And we give you thanks. Give them traveling mercies. Give them strength along the way. And encourage them. May they come back stronger than when they went, I pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said together, amen, amen. This is our benediction as we leave today. Can we say this together? May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace.